0: Well, thank you. We are so glad to be home. Uh, we just finished 3,000 Miles in the Car with three little ones. We went to uh, my graduation and then went to uh, two Christmases. And uh, I can tell you, um, for a number of reasons, both for weather, that I'm glad I'm not in Ohio today, uh, more because of the football game last night than the weather. Um, and i I am very thankful to preach this morning very thankful to be back uh, with us as a body um, I agreed to preach before I knew about uh, this vote or when this would happen so as I was driving I thought man this could be the most awkward sermon ever <laughs> depending on how this vote goes but uh, I appreciate your 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 grace and and uh, I'm very humbled for our opportunity to uh, just To build this local body together So let's pray for our church Let's pray for Pastor David And then let's uh, open God's word together Heavenly Father I thank you for this morning I thank you for your word It's truth I thank you that we can know you That we can stand in uncertainty and change With the certainty of knowing our creator and our savior May that be evident this morning And may that encourage us And may that challenge us in how we live we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Well, it's, it's that time of year. Christmas is over, you ate a bunch of food, you sat around, you saw your loved ones, and it's New Year's, and New Year's brings New Year's resolutions, and I have done them. I know some of you may be thinking of them. You're on the clock. You have about two days to get those ready, and January ones coming. Uh, In fact, I did a little research on this. Over 160 million Americans every year do New Year's resolutions. Top ten. Number one, diet. Number two, exercise. Number three, lose weight, kind of all together. Number four, save money, perhaps from the diet and the exercise. Uh, number five, learn a new skill or hobby. Number six, quit smoking. Number seven, read more. Number eight, find another job. Number nine, drink less. Number 10, spend more time with loved ones. Uh, here's the problem. Of the 160 million Americans that do New Year's resolutions every year, by the end of January, only 25% are still doing them. By the end of December, only about 7 or 8% of the 160 million Americans are still doing their new year's resolution so I've done this myself I can tell you in 1999 on December 31st 20 years ago this week I gathered a couple friends and we stood at this special place on our college campus and we said 2000 this is our resolution we are going to make this the year of the woman we are going to find girlfriends and our wives And so we made the effort. We said, okay, we're going to go out, we're going to ask girls on dates, and we did, and we had girlfriends all by February, and we were all single against our own will by June. (laughs) So we gathered again at that same place on campus, very bitter people on December 31st, 2000, and we're so thankful that year was over Here's what's wrong with a lot of New Year's resolutions And they're good, by the way, there are many good ones But here's what typically goes wrong You say I have a goal I want to lose weight So what I'm going to do is I'm going to apply me To some habit With the desire that I'll attain that goal And at the end of that goal It'll lead me to happiness and better life And as I was thinking And what really the point of all this This morning is Why this has to do with our church is I was thinking we're about to change a chapter in our church We're about to change a year in our church. We have a new pastor who's coming with his family next week What are the resolutions? What are the things we should be wanting in this new chapter as a church? And I was I was drawn to 1st Thessalonians So if you would please join me by turning to 1st Thessalonians 4 As you look there, I just want to give a quick overview of what's happening Church in Thessalonica, Paul and Silas came after leaving the Philippian jail and preaching there, came to Thessalonica, preached, and many people were converted, especially many, many Greeks, many Gentiles, men and women, and upon that, a lot of the Jews in the, in the area became very upset and started persecuting them, but they remained faithful, but Paul had to get out of there, so he left, he wanted to come back, but it was too dangerous, so he sent Timothy Timothy came, ministered, was encouraged, gave a report back to Paul. They were remaining faithful. They were were absolutely committed to the gospel. They were struggling with what is the second coming. You can see that as you flip through. But they were faithful. And so Paul is spending the first three chapters just saying, I thank God that you're faithful to the gospel. I thank God that you're doing well. And he gets to chapter four, and it's almost like he's saying. Here's my resolutions for you for this new chapter. I'm so thankful, but do this. And that's kind of what I hope is our prayer and our thought this morning. There are so many things to be thankful for about First Point and where we are and what God has done for us and how faithful he's been. But there's a new chapter in front of us, and there's exhortation. So read with me in verse 1 of chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus... That as you receive from us how to how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion and lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things As we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you For God has not called us to impurity But in holiness Therefore whoever disregards this Disregards not man but God Who gives his Holy Spirit to you Now concerning brotherly love You have no need for anyone to write to you For you yourselves have been taught by God To love one another For that is indeed what you're doing To all the brothers throughout Macedonia But we urge you brothers Do this more and more and aspire to live a quiet life and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. So very simply, Paul is desiring a resolution. He's desiring something good for this church. What is it? Two words. Be sanctified. Be sanctified. Well, what does it mean to be sanctified? Simple, we're going to follow this. What, do, what is it? Why is it important? How do we do it? What is it? Definition from Strong's Concordance from the Greek would say it's a purification, a consecration of heart and life. This is to be made clean, somewhat of that understanding. This is also the idea that you're set apart for some special use, that you're, you're made for a purpose, and that, that has to do with it um, i like what Hokoma says this is a this is a bit of a definition here but it says the gracious operation of the holy spirit involving our participation by which he delivers us he delivers us from the pollution of sin he renews us in our entire being according to his image and he enables us to live a life pleasing to him more simply john piper defines sanctification as our obedience to christ And a life pleasing to God This isn't easy This is not something that's even Frankly easy to want to preach about Um, I struggled with this this week And I realized that it's an all or nothing Problem for us either we want to say Here I am with my New Year's resolution I am going to be sanctified So I'm going to apply me to some Habit with the idea that it's going to make me More like God That doesn't work We'll talk more about that. The other idea is I'm going to be sanctified. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God called me, and so I'm going to go to heaven. So here I am. I'll let God do it. And there seems to be, from this passage, both an understanding that God will do it, but it requires a complete effort from us. It's not easy, but it is what we're called to. So, why is it important? Real simply, God is holy. God is holy Another very biblical word we're throwing out a lot of what they call christianese words this morning. What is holiness? Some call it righteousness The idea of being pure unblemished But that really doesn't Connote it really doesn't display what it really means when we think about it in god it's, It actually means like the otherness. It means that which is completely different from something else I I love A.W. Tozer. He talks about the attributes of God a lot, and he says this about holiness. He says, I I cannot tell you, nor you'll understand, or you're qualified to appreciate the holiness of God. We can't grasp the true meaning of holiness by thinking of someone or something pure and then raising the concept to the highest degree. God's holiness is not simply the best we know, infinitely bettered. So think of the best person you know, and just better and better. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, unattainable. Man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his wholeness he can't even understand. Holy is the way God is to be holy. He does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. He is completely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than that. Because he is holy, his attributes are holy. That is, whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy. God is holy, and he has made holiness the moral condition necessary for the health of his universe. We should stand in awe of that. We don't understand God. We need to understand God. We're called to understand God. He's condescended that we can know him, and not only that, he's paid the penalty, as we sang for, that we can know him, but we're called to that same standard. We're called to holiness, and that's why it's important. Think of the example of fine china. I have some experience. Both my mom and my mother-in-law have helped me appreciate fine china, My mom made me eat eat on it at Christmas time in case I were to ever eat with the queen or the president, I guess. And my mother-in-law picked out fine china as our gift because that was a family gift for our wedding. I had no concept of that. I was like, we don't need that. We'll never use that. I learned quickly that that was the wrong answer. Fine china is special. Fine china is important. Fine china is set apart. It's to show the value you you have For the person eating on it And that's what we are We're set apart We're, We're created We're remolded in a way That's like fine China You put it up in that shelf You pull it out at Christmas And you pull it out Whenever the queen comes to visit I guess But it's important It's not to be dirtied It's not to be played with It's to be set apart So We know what sanctification is. We know why it's important because God is holy. So how do we do it? How do we achieve this resolution? Is it kind of like, as I mentioned earlier, a New Year's resolution that I just, I have to be sanctified. Let's go. No. (laughs) There's a different equation entirely. So if the normal equation of these resolutions are me plus some habit, I'll attain the goal and then I'm going to be happy. This is very different. This is me the gospel me plus the gospel me understanding what the gospel is applying that so adding that to one area of my life and then letting that change me in a way that equals holiness notice I didn't say happiness I'm not saying they're separate we'll talk about that later but I am saying the goal is holiness Oftentimes our resolutions are Me, I'm going to do this happiness And God wants something very different for us So how do we do this? Well Again, I I think that he gives us Some very clear understanding in chapter 1 If you just flip back a couple pages He says in verse 4 For we know, brothers, loved by God That he has chosen you because our gospel came to you Not only in the world But also in the power And the Holy Spirit With full conviction You know what kind of men We proved to be among you For your sake And you became imitators Of us in the Lord And you received the word In much affliction With the joy of the Holy Spirit They received the gospel that's, that's how we do this We think of the gospel We apply the gospel We preach the gospel To ourselves Now there are some Specific things So, as we look at this passage, much like if I have a goal in 2020 to lose weight, there are probably some specific things that I should do or shouldn't do in 2020. One of those may be exercise and eat less ice cream. You get it. Here are some specific things related to the resolutions of being sanctified. Number one, Paul says, pursue personal purity. Pursue personal purity. Says that you abstain from sexual immorality That each one of you know how to control your own body In holiness and honor Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles Who do not know God Following the same model What is sexual immorality I thought as I, as I started to think through this And as I looked at commentaries And as I listened to sermons There were laundry lists of what sexual immorality is I could go through those that would be everything from adultery sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman Pornography lust a lack of intimacy because of sin within a marriage We could go through these we've heard these they're in our culture because everywhere you look across our culture today It's telling us that we can have that That it's okay you can live the good life. You can be a better version of you. You can have happiness and still have this. Whatever that is, I will let you think on that in your own life. It's, it's pervasive. It's not just one of those things. But as I thought about this, it, it, I do see, even as we look at Scripture, that it's the battle of the body to show our love and our identity of Christ. This is a battle of the body. This is one of those examples why Paul chose it. I'm sure there's a litany of examples, one of which Thessalonica, I'm sure, had a multitude of problems, much like America in that area. Number two, it seems to be an area that seems to be pervasive across mankind because we have bodies. We do think that way. We are taken towards something that is given by God, and we've perverted it in every way. But instead of going through a lot of the Specific examples of that I thought Of an example that was given to us This morning So we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper We're going to take bread and we're going to Take our version of wine And we're going to Ask that it be Blessed by God so that We can be reminded Of what Christ did for us And that we can partake that Well This bread's been set apart. I can tell you theologically, it's no different than any bread. This is public bread, by the way. But it has been set apart for a purpose, and this purpose is unique, and this purpose is special, and this purpose is to remind us what Christ did for us, right? Well, if we brought this bread this morning, and we opened it, And we're fine with the fact that there are pieces here that are just moldy and decaying. We've taken something that's consecrated. We've taken something that's set apart. We've taken something that's special. And we've let it just be completely neglected. We've let it be polluted. And that's what sexual immorality is in our lives. That's what taking something that should be set apart. Our bodies, our bodies are that same thing. They're this example, because that's what the Lord's Supper is. It's an example of what God has done for us that displays His glory. Well, our bodies are that. We know that from 1 Corinthians 6. Our bodies are not our own. They're the temple of God. They've been bought with a price. And yet it is too easy to let mold and pollution sit on what has been set aside for something special. And that's something that we have to take seriously Well why is it important Obviously I'll explain a little bit of that But why is it important Let's look at the text Verse 6 says that no one transgresses And wrongs his brother in this matter Because the Lord is an avenger In all these things As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you God has not called us for impurity But in holiness Therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. The three things why this is important, real simply. He alludes to the fact that we have the Holy Spirit, that we have actually been consecrated and that actually we have God within us that is convicting us, that's challenging us, that's changing us, that originally made us aware of the gospel, if you know Christ this morning the Holy Spirit was at work in your life and he convicted you and changed you and rubbed you and prodded you and directed you to the point that you knew what sin is and you knew that you needed Christ and that you made the conscientious choice of said I accept that, I need that, I repent. But now you probably have some understanding that boy, the Holy Spirit was working there. And, and here you have the very, the very God at work And you're sitting and you're fine with mold on that Be warned of that Be conscious of that Be thinking of that Number two It wrongs yourself and others It wrongs yourself We know that from 1 Corinthians 6 That it's a sin against your own body we see here in this passage, that it actually wrongs your brother. Other people are involved because it involves bodies. There are bodies involved that are hurt by it. You don't have to look far for church examples of this. Whether that be geographically or in time, you can go to the Palm Beach Post, you can go to the Sun Sentinel, you could go to the New York Times, you can go anywhere you want to look for examples of which... There are people within the body that have sinned sexually and it's hurt people. Whether that be viewing something that is not theirs sexually or whether that be partaking with someone that is not theirs sexually. It happens and it destroys and it destroys these churches. It, distro- it can destroy our church. We need to guard against it. You know, in the 90s, I grew up, I was dating, <laughs> dating in the 90s, as I explained. It didn't go very well. Um, I was dating in the 90s when this whole movement of the sexual prosperity gospel came about. But the problem with that was it took out the idea that the goal was holiness and to be with God and to enjoy the Holy Spirit. It basically said, if I do these things to me... Plus, discipline of sexual purity, boom, I'll be happy. That's a New Year's resolution. And it failed miserably. Whether that be I kissed dating goodbye or whatever those were, they failed miserably because the end goal wasn't holiness and the end goal wasn't God. The end goal was a self attained happiness. We need better. We need the Holy Spirit in our life. And we need to know that these can damage other people. And we see that God is not silent on that. Number three, God is an avenger and a judge. God is an avenger and a judge. He will right those wrongs. And we need to think as we walk into this new year what that looks like. So I just ask a couple questions by way of application. In what moments of your day are you most tempted, most vulnerable to tolerate or indulge in impurity? Kind of like bread, if there's mold, you rip it out. You rip it off. You take it off. You grab the knife out and you cut it off. We need to be practicing that. We need to be practicing that in our sanctification, particularly in the example of... Our sexual lives of our purity of our understanding of what we look at what we think at what we want and it needs to be something that we do often because we we're given to fail at this it's a struggle but it's something we have to take seriously because we're consecrated we're set apart we have the holy spirit we're called to the enjoyment of knowing god now with the hope of knowing god fully when we're in heaven. Number two, how do you, how would you do if you were required to give account for what you view, what you look at each day, for what you find yourself thinking about or wanting? Like I said, this isn't something I really wanted to even think about, uh, preach, uh, because it's vulnerable. Uh, it pierces. But yet I was reminded how easy it is in our culture even in our Christian culture to think that oftentimes these are things we can be comfortable with We can be comfortable with a little bit of mold And it's something that we have to cut out But yet That can cause Much guilt. Maybe you're sitting here this morning struggling with some area of purity Maybe you're a young single person just struggling to get through struggling to see God's will in all this And there's guilt in your life at some point. Maybe it's in the past and you're struggling in that area. But please, whether you are a believer this morning or whether you're coming through these doors for the first time and you don't know this, there's hope. There is hope. Terry Bridges says nothing cuts the nerve of the desire to pursue holiness as much as the sense of guilt. On the contrary, nothing so motivates us to deal with sin in our lives as to. Does the understanding and application of the two truths that our sins are forgiven and the dominion of sin is broken because of the union with Christ. That's the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself in 2020. You get nothing else out of this. Preach the gospel to yourself. Because we need it every day and that is how we cut that out. Well Paul has another focus on this sanctification. It's much more positive. If If this was the cutting the bad thing out, kind of like quitting smoking in 2020, this is the positive, like reading more books, right? So let's look at that. Number two, Paul calls us to abound in love. He calls the Thessalonians to abound in love. He says in verse 9, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. So again, same same philosophy. What is this? Why is it important? How do we do it? What is it? It's funny. For all the examples that I could find in commentaries and in what have you on what it meant to abstain from sexual immorality, finding what is loving one another, there were not a lot of examples. It seems to be you know it when you see it in some ways, perhaps. Um, We do have some understanding of love, bad ones often, movies, etc., I I can tell you There are some movies That are great About you know Understanding what love is I love my wife I can tell you That's selfish sometimes That's imperfect But it's true I love her She loves me Even better than I love her But There seems to be A different understanding Of what that is In this passage So let's look at the text again It says For you yourselves Have been taught By God To love one another So what is that? It, this love that they were taught, that they received when Paul and, and, and Silas came, was this love of the fact that they didn't deserve love, that they were guilty in need of, of, of a Savior because of their sin. They stood before the wrath of, the God, of God, but Christ, being rich in mercy and God, being rich in love, came, lived, served, and then died in our place that we can know Him and enjoy Him. And they believed that. And that changed the way they not only said, this is how I'm going to live in my life, but it's going to affect how I live with other people. And they were doing that. It seems like they were doing that really well. So why is he saying, I mean, they're an example to all of Macedonia. Big place. But he's saying, do it even better. Excel at it. Again, Again, I I encourage you, this is the gospel applied. This is a new formula. It's saying me plus my understanding of the gospel applied to how I love others will result in my holiness it also results in caring for other people and enjoying other people. But the end here, as you see, if you look back in chapter 3 even, that it, it's, he's praying that they would love one another for their sanctification, that they would walk worthy of the calling, that they would be presented blameless before God on that day. So why is it important? That's the signature. Christ says in his Gospels in John that this is how that you'll know That you're you're my disciples, that you love one another. He says later, like, this is a new commandment. This is something that sums up what I want you to do, to, to obey me, as John Piper says, to enjoy the pleasures of God, that you would love me with your heart, soul, and mind. That involves our purity, that involves what we think about, that involves what we do, and that you would love one another, that we'd be driven. As we look across who we're called to be with, and we would have compassion, we would have heart, we would have desire to care for. Well, to understand this, we kind of have to know who the another is. I spent 3,000 miles driving last night. Are these the people I'm driving with in traffic? I really hope not. It is. It is. Partially. Is this refugees that are coming to this country? Should we love them? Yes. Yes. We should. Is this the focus of what Paul's talking about here? It's not. He's talking about the people in the uh, Thessalonian church. So as we look at 1st Point, we're talking about the people that are mainly in this room. That there's something special God gets in this room. That it was set apart, it was consecrated that we would not only be called to our holiness, but there's something for us to be sanctified in doing life together, that we would care for each other, that we would enjoy each other, that we pray for one another, that in that, there's something that God has actually made a purpose for that brings Him glory and is going to bring us greater pleasure and joy. How do we do this? This is hard and convicting. And, on, and honestly, as I told you before, I, I thought it would be harder to, to think through the idea of the holiness, of a personal holiness, of abstaining from sexual immorality. And as I started to walk through this passage, I realized that this is equally as difficult. It's not natural. It's not human in the depraved sense that we would want to love one another. So how do we do it? Again, let's follow this new rubric, this new formula. It involves me coming before the gospel and understanding who I am and understanding what God has done for me and then realizing that he has saved me and set me free and called me to himself. But he's called other people in this room and he's calling other people in this room and he's called us together and that we need each other in a way that brings him a special glory. And so I take myself, I preach the gospel, and then I apply it to seeing the other people in this room, and I see them in light of the gospel. I see them in what God has made other people in this room in His image, and He's redeemed them, not because of themselves, but because of who He is. So as different as they may be, as distinct as their career is, their name, their what have you, how they blow their nose, whatever, We're called to love each other and we're called to live with each other and that should Excite us because it's for our good and it's for god's glory We actually talk about this. I love this in our church covenant if you want to know something about me. I love I love the idea of covenants because I need to be reminded and we have as our church covenant It says a few things It says that we've agreed to do this That we will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will not forsake the assembling together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will endeavor to bring up such as it may at any time be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will rejoice in each other's happiness. And endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burden and sorrows. So, how do we do this? Preach the gospel to yourselves and then do it. Reach out, practice it. Find someone else in this room. Try it. And then there's part of this that's that, really distinct. It says to actively pursue quietness, humility, and peace. Seek to live a quiet life. That does not seem to fly in the face of our culture right now. Uh, social media is not quiet <laughs> cnn news fox news is not quiet matthew henry says this about that idea of of living a quiet life he says it's the most desirable thing to have a calm and quiet temper to be of a peaceful and quiet behavior this tends much of our own and others happiness and christians should study how to be quiet we should be ambitious and industrious how to be calm and quiet in our minds and patience to possess our own souls and to be quiet towards others or a meek and mild and gentle, a gentle and peaceful disposition not given to strife, contention or division. Satan is very busy to disquiet us and we have that in our own hearts that dispi- disposes us to be quiet. Therefore, let us study how to be quiet. Well, our church, when I think of 2020, when I think of my own life, we need these things. We need to be sanctified. We need to be sexually pure. We need to be pure in mind, pure in heart. And we need to love one another. And in that, we need to be quiet. It's easy to want to say, particularly whether it's a new pastor or it's a new year or Whatever you have going in your life, like, you need to hear me, you need to know what good things I'm doing. Social media tells you, you need to have an opinion of this. you need to be offended, you need to say this, you need to fight this person, you need to do this. It does not seem to be what Paul's calling us to do. To the best of our ability, lead a quiet life, that we might love one another, and in that we might win the respect of outsiders, that they would see something different. That which is different That which is holy That we'd have it Well As we close What makes Paul's resolutions Different here Said this already In some level What What's different Resolutions fail Right We fail Even good ones And there are many Good resolutions I'm not hoping you Walk out of here And think Well I'm not making Any resolutions in 2020 I hope that you do but I hope you're reminded of, of a different rubric here. And I know that we've in some of these things in the 1960s, there's a big call to love one another and it failed. The 1990s, there was this call for sexual purity and it failed. What makes this different? Look at the next section of First Thessalonians 4. The answer is simple. It's the hope of heaven. You see, in heaven... When we think about the end result of this, this rubric, of this equation, of these resolutions, it's where our happiness meets our holiness. And we're together with God. It says here in First Thessalonians 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. It goes on to say in the next chapter in verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, whether we're dead or alive at that time, that we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another, and build one another up, just as you're doing. I am so grateful for what God is doing at first point. The only way that it will be fruitful, the only way that will be sustained, is the idea of what we know is the greater reality. That we will be with God. That if you know Christ this morning, that it should not only call you to enjoy him in holiness now, but it's an imperfect holiness. We keep failing, we keep struggling, but we keep trying. But it's, it's a trying and yielding to the gospel. But it isn't perfect, it's this constant. I want it, but I don't want it. But in heaven, where we're going to spend eternity, that is all gone, it's complete, we're made right. We are finally fit to be in the presence of God. And that is the most happy and holy place. And it lasts forever. We will be with God. It will be secure. And it is the greater reality. A culture that's telling you to be allowed. A culture that's telling you, have what you want, whether it be sexual immorality, whether it be whatever you want right now, have it your way. That is a vapor that's going away and God will judge. But if you know Christ this morning, You know that you will be happy and holy with Him forever, and that should set us free in 2020. That should be what we want more than anything else, that we would be with God, and we would be practicing that now on the Sunday mornings, and we'd be practicing that in how we love each other and hold each other accountable. I am so thankful and I'm so grateful for what God's doing here. May our 2020 resolution as a church be what we see in 1 Thessalonians. May we be sanctified because there's the joy and enjoyment in that, and then there's the idea of being with God. May that motivate us. May that cause us to love each other. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can know you because of Jesus Christ dying in our behalf. I thank you that that is set us free to become compelled by you, that we would want to be sanctified, that we would want to be changed because there's the pleasure in knowing you. There's the gratitude in seeing what you've done, and that's the only motivation that we can have. But it's the promise of what's to come, God, that we can be in heaven with you and that that is a reality that we can sing about, we can talk about, we can even have some little taste of as we worship on a Sunday morning, but it's going to be full, it's going to be real, and it's going to last forever, and may we hope for it more in this day and more in 2020. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Bob. Church, would you stand? We're going to sing and ask God to prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper. (coughs) Thank you. <coughs>